Greetings, hello, reanimators. This is episode 292 of Reanimated Podcast, and uh, I am one of your hosts, Stuart, and I am coming at you from California, from the New York side of things, is the uh, unenviable H.J. Conrad. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm a little enviable. Come on. <laughs> I'm just being cruel at this point. I mean, uh, I've got some bagels to eat. I've got pizza here. I, I have a pretty good situation. I've got a cemetery to walk in there's lots of enviable things about my, my life God, you just named like s- several great things including See? the cemetery for sure um but you know and also i like zombie films so that's enviable right right i was speaking completely out of turn i take it back all right the utterly enviable h.a conrad in new york and um we are going to be talking today about army of the dead Zack snyder's uh latest opus and uh, I can't wait to, to hash that out with you, but um, I guess we can check in quickly. How's the state of your pandemic? Are you good? Uh, pretty good. It's been pretty much, you know, masks off everywhere. We actually traveled by train to go and see um, my mother-in-law, who is now returned from uh, Thailand. Uh, so that was kind of, that was really nice to be able to see her. But travel is a little weirder now, so you have to, you know, the there's a lot of station rules and things like that. And you know, you have to mask up and that's definitely a place where you're not, you know, you, you cannot take your mask off. Um, and some people are still trying to not comply. And I think it's really hard on the, the people like the conductors and things at least this, we took like a uh, Amtrak train. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's really hard on the conductors and other people who are trying to, to stay safe. And then they have to get into these kind of weird confrontations. And we saw a couple of these happen on the train. So I think that there is going to be a little bit of push and pull, um, from people who feel like they should be able to unmask completely. And, you know, I think there's just going to be an adjustment period. Um, I definitely felt like, a li- like it's been kind of a weird thing because it's sort of like I've been going a little bit more with my mask off if there's nobody around, like outside, like for walks and things like that. But I still definitely wear it inside any place. Um, and as I mentioned last week, there was definitely, there's been some tension about that with some places too and with the people who work there and people, and it, and it's not even like, um, like some of the people who really want to take their masks off, ha, like it's interesting because it's not, I don't know, and I this may be an incorrect assessment, but it honestly seems to be people who aren't vaccinated who seem to be raising the biggest fuss. Um, so I've now seen a few different things where it's like, well, and, and the, the sort of... Um, the subject of the conversation has been, well, if I want to take the risk, that should be okay. So it doesn't it doesn't seem to be people saying, I'm vaccinated, so I should be able to go without the mask. It's people who are like, I'm unvaccinated and I want to take the risk, right? So that yep. that's kind of odd. I don't know if you've seen anything like that, but, you know, I definitely feel a lot more confident that I have been vaccinated, but it is, and I get it, it's not like a comfortable thing to wear those masks, but I certainly wouldn't have been taking it off on the train, you know, so... Um, so that, that's been kind of, you know, what it is. Um, but this has been probably the rainiest, uh, Memorial Day weekend that I can recall. So has it, I haven't really seen a ton of crowds and stuff out in the streets, you know? Um, Hmm. so that's kind of, you know, interesting, but, um, what's been going on out there? Um, yeah, uh, locally, we've been having a little bit of an uptick in cases and it's almost all unvaccinated people. Um, but our case rate's going up. But not not like massively. Just um, we were at about ten cases a day in hmm. our five hundred thousand person region, 
and now it's up to like 35 or some, the high was 60, um, which is you know, maybe a little troubling. It, it does definitely show that folks are getting out and, you know, being less anal. And um, so we're going to have this is going to be the, the case. I'm hoping that some of these infections will result in more people wanting to get vaccinated because we are seeing a real dip in demand. Hmm. Uh, so a lot of clinics are just like sitting there with, without enough customers or like just a few a handful come through. Well, we saw actually an uptick um, once they approved it for um, the next age group, basically. Mm -hmm. So that there is an uptick there in terms of the demand. Um, but they think mainly it's for the like children who had in those age ranges that hadn't been able to get vaccinated up until that point. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, the cases, the case rate here is actually really low. It's almost, I think it's, um, I didn't check today, but it was lower than like last summer when it was really low. So I'm hoping that this continues and, and, you know, we get there. The other somewhat disheartening news that I saw also related to the travel piece, because it seems like a lot of people were fly or a lot more people are flying. I will say just as a, this is totally subjective, obviously, I don't have a account of all the people that were on the train, but the train was like very much sold out. Um, oh, so wow. that I wasn't quite anticipating because we, we actually took a train that was not necessarily like within the I guess probably, I guess it was just like ahead of the weekend, so it makes sense. But um, yeah, Domestic travel is just going to be off the charts this summer. Yeah, so so I think that it's indicative that people are feeling more comfortable at least doing that now that and probably a lot of them are vaccinated. Um, but I don't know if you saw this, but on a lot of the airlines, they have basically decided to not serve alcohol because there's been actually a lot, an uptick in the series of attacks on like flight attendants. Which, oh, I saw that one video from Southwest. Was, well, there was that one, but apparently there's been a lot of incidents like this and generally it's related to mask wearing. Um, mm -hmm. So that, I think that's pretty hard. Like that, uh, the, the flight attendant, the story I saw was the one where the flight attendant got her teeth knocked out, which I think, can you imagine seeing that happen? Like, it's just terrible. Like, so um, it, for a job that has to be challenging anyway, to have to worry about this kind of thing is a little bit um, disheartening, but um Hopefully it will be, hopefully people will calm down and um, hopefully there won't be as much stress and anxiety and the, these weird, these weird incidents happening. So, um, so that's all I have to really say about that for now. Yeah, um, well, let's talk a little bit about some zombie news. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Um, so, so. The, there's two, there's two articles that we're going to talk about. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some ancillary stuff that shows up to you. But the first one, the, I, uh, this the first... is, this is such a fluff piece. So I saw this as well. And my reaction, both when I first read it and when I saw that you had put it in the show notes, was to just kind of laugh out loud. I'm like, who are they paying to write these? And I mean, I again, I am definitely okay with people having different opinions than me. I just... I don't I, I just don't know how people can like this season of Fear the Walking Dead when it honestly to me is so bad that you and I are considering to like just stopping to watch the show, which I mean, I think I think longtime listeners of the show know that we're we're kind of like gluttons for punishment on this end of things. Like we will watch some really, really bad things for a really long time, um, just to see what happens and, and we do like the content and it is kind of fun sometimes to, you know, tear things apart. But um and to be cri critical of them. Um but generally I think the thing that frustrates us, or I, I won't speak for you, Stuart, that frustrates me. Um 
is when you do have sort of the makings of such a great show and it wouldn't take, it would definitely would not take that much um, from a writing and storytelling point of view to turn this into like just a better, um, just a much better show. And um, I think this piece was just so bizarre. Uh, so so, yeah, so this is a comicbook.com piece stating that season six is the best season of Fear the Walking Dead right. after last season five being considered the worst. And and then they're basing this basically off of one interview with Michael Satrazimus, or maybe just a statement that he made. Maybe they didn't interview him. I don't know. And some comments from uh, Shambliss or, or about Shambliss and Goldberg and Scott Kimple. And they're basically their statistics that they're referring to are is Rotten Tomatoes. And so then you go and look at Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and it is like, hey, like it's kind of undeniable. It's 80, 88% on the critic rating and 84% on the audience rating. The Okay, but then I have bones to pick. The critic rating, almost all of those, uh, and it's like seven reviews, that, that 88%. There was one negative and like six positive or something along those lines. Um, eight reviews, seven, seven fresh, one rotten. Uh, I'm pretty sure that all but one of those positive reviews were from the first half of the season, which I do recall being better. Oh yeah. Also, Um, like that was the molasses factory episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And those were were okay. Uh, and, and, you know, we were enjoying the John Dory (laughs) storyline of him being a small town sheriff. Like, yeah, those were enjoyable. The, uh, however, the audience, uh, reviews or scores are actually recent and I don't know, where they're coming from though but there's a lot of five-star reviews in may 2021 if you look down the rotten tomatoes and so i assume that that's where they're like saying okay uh this is a incontrovertible fact that this season is better but when you look at the fact that all of these critic reviews are from november and october except Mm. for uh except for one uh, and they're saying that this is a dramatic 180 in March 2021 for comicbook.com, the, mm. uh, the, the people who wrote this article also. No uh, no co- coincidence there. It's just, it's, it's highly suspect to me. And yeah, I agree that, I mean, I, yeah, we, we have been pretty consistent that this has not been a great second half of the season with the exception of The Door, which was John Tory's <laughs> outro. Yeah. And um and yet I also want to be I want to acknowledge that I've seen critics in the past just like turn sour on a project and then it's like really hard to get them back on board. Like I was reading reviews uh, when the Matrix uh, trilogy was coming out of people just bagging on things and getting getting like plot points completely wrong in their reviews. And, and mm-hmm. the people who are reading these reviews were like, wow, it seems like you really don't have a, a an objective perspective on this anymore. And I'm, I want to be aware that that could be something that we're going through, too. But it doesn't. I don't know. man. I'm like, I, I certainly don't understand why comicbook.com is writing this article unless they're getting paid to do it. And when you look at the audience numbers for Fear the Walking Dead, the last episode that we talked about, which was uh, Mother had less than a million viewers. Hmm. Yeah. I raise a skeptical eyebrow at this article, but, um, you know, and, and as I, you know, there's definitely the, the bright spots, the door, um, gave me hope that there was going to be a little bit more. Um, but, uh, unfortunately my fears about John Dory exiting were, unfor- I think confirmed by what we've seen since. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll finish out this this thing and then we'll have to make a call but at this point I stand by my assessment of this particular season which I think it's just a bunch of garbage so um that's that you heard it here first (laughs) so um it's very strange um 
But, you know, we are, like, as everybody knows, and we've talked about this, we have been talking about this since the fir- they first announced this project. Um, it's gone through a lot of different um, things. It was delayed. There was, like, editing things going on that gave us, you know... Oh, Tignotaro. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that there we got that we got that. Um, and so, of course, what we are talking about today is Army of the Dead, which uh, premiered on Netflix. And, um, you know, by all accounts, it has been doing very well from a viewership point of view. I think that they timed releasing it very well. Um, this is the kind of film that um, is one of those sort of big, silly action-y set pieces, like like ridiculous things that seem kind of like, you know, going into a holiday weekend or whatever. Yeah. Um, Lots of summer blockbuster yeah. DNA here. Oh, yeah. It's definitely got that whole thing going on. And so I will say if that's what they were going for, they definitely succeeded in that kind of a thing, um, in that kind of a feel for it. Um, so I'm not totally shocked that it's getting the, the viewership. Um, but... Um, you know, but let's talk about this a little bit. And, you know, Zack Snyder pretty much did everything on this. He was the director of photography, cinema- co-writer, co- like cinematographer. Um, you know, obviously he wrote this. This He's very deeply involved in this, prog- uh, in this whole project. And I don't think that there is any doubt. And we have talked long about this. We have talked this several times. And at least I have talked about this. Um and I think visually, he is a fantastic director. I think that he has got an awesome sense of what things look like and what he wants them to look like. And he does a really good job at setting that stuff up. Um, the thing that I do think that Zack Snyder struggles with and where I think he could actually benefit and seems to benefit from having other voices in there is some of the storytelling and the character development. So, and granted, I know that this is a blockbuster zombie film, but I do feel like Dawn of the Dead, his remake, had a little bit better storytelling pieces to it. Um, and I don't well, know. That was written by James Gunn. Isn't that crazy? Well, there that's... you go. And there you go. And I mean, that's the thing is that I think he needs that help. And so, um, and, and you know, I think I, I trash Zack Snyder less than a lot of people do because he gets a lot of like he gets a lot of flack from a lot of corners. Um, he especially got it over Watchmen, which, you know, I am a big Watchmen fan and, and you and I talked about this and I had like, it was interesting. I had this whole conversation with my friend Ali about this, who didn't read those books. Um, when he was, you know, when they, he was growing up, I didn't read them exactly when they came out, but I read them pretty close to it. So, um, this was something, and I love Alan Moore who wrote Watchmen. Um, and a lot of the, the people and and this did have something to do once again we have the Zack Snyder cuts and the in the usually the theatrical cuts and things like that the edits uh that are made and I think with the the director's cut of Watchmen you can see a lot more and it was definitely a better film than the uh theatrical cut but I do think that he got the idea of Watchmen and the characters and I think it was cast very well but I also think that um he didn't the depth of it was not what it probably should have been given the love for this uh content that there was and some of the nuances and the political aspects of it i think were unfortunately lost um but visually he did an incredible job um the montage scene at the beginning of watchmen is probably like the backstory is probably one of the best storytelling mm. pieces i think i've ever seen um it's really there's a very similar uh 
montage in the credits he, for this movie. Correct, and I was that is why I'm bringing it up. And yeah. they and it's really interesting. I think he does a good job. Like that is a fantastic. Um, like that is a talent that he has uh, to tell, basically to give you the background in a very small amount of time, and you don't. And he does it beautifully. With like no it, dialogue. Yeah. It's it's almost like it's a really incredible um, talent he has to do that, and and I felt like he did that here too. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and overall, the look of this, and we can talk a, a little bit about this with the making of, because I, I watched it and I think you did too. Um, but, you know, visually, it's got this really kind of dreamy um, quality about it. Um, there's a real, there's a lot of like, when you pull focus, like everything is like pretty much in your face, like and co- goes out of focus pretty easily in the background unless yeah, the you're like depth of field is yep. like a micro there's like centimeter. nothing it's... um and i was also you know they it made sense as as i watched the making of um because i was like what did they add this effect in like after because it's got this like bokeh and other things and bokeh is like when everything in the background kind of blurs but the the depth of like the person the subject is like in like focus um so it in but this is sort of like this dreamy quality like with some of the lenses and he used Leica lenses which are honestly probably the best glass out there um but these were sort of um made to for like camera lenses but they're all they're all very different so you have kind of a there's like they're known for their flaws but that's something that some people like go for because it gives you this specific yeah in the making of he's like i love this camera because it's got a lot of flaws i'm like that Interesting take, but obviously he had like a he had a whole idea and vision about how he wanted to shoot this film. And it's great to see a director right there with the camera, right up in the actors' faces, and and like that's just I feel like this was a filmmaker's film, right? Like this is the kind of thing that the kids grow up thinking, I'm gonna be a director, and he's doing the thing that I think people think they do. He is such a visual person that I do think I loved that he was doing that, and the look of it is very cool. And I actually even when uh, so when he started to talk about those lenses, I was like, man, I'm surprised this was in focus. And then a couple of seconds later, he goes, I'm, the other guy said, the, he's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm surprised this was as in focus. And the movie is way more in focus than I thought it was Yeah, yeah. Be. What? Um, yeah, I know. It's kind really of a funny. scary thing to say. Yeah. Well, um, in, in some of the YouTube uh, Snyder Film School videos that Netflix is also producing, the, there's one clip where he talks about how they were lighting everything with flashlights inside mm-hmm. the casino and yeah. that really dark a series of scenes and he was wearing a white t-shirt and he's like hey actor shine the flashlight at me and you'll get back you'll get yeah, lit you'll off get of a, my shirt. a light off your shirt yep <laughs> and he had a flashlight attached to his camera he's pointing it at the ceiling and they had um, reflectors or boards or whatever you call them up there to like throw back down a little bit of light but they're basically lighting these scenes with just a few flashlights and that was that was wild uh, right, and, and, but without that camera, like that camera is incredibly like that wouldn't be possible with old school cameras. Like it's only because this is such a different piece of technology, which the fact that they're getting any information out of that is pretty impressive. So right, yeah. So it's kind of so cool. I think visually, I, I guess we're on the same page that this movie has has a real look and feel. It's it's unique and it and it, it mostly looks really good. Yeah, there's some crazy blurry scenes, but also that's just that was the vision that he was going for. Mm-hmm. And as someone who did sit through all four four hours of the Snyder Cut Justice League, uh, they like to respect the director's vision yep. sometimes. So, <laughs> so I also thought that it was interesting um, 
and I knew this before because we've seen like a few articles about this, um, but he came up with the concept of this either while or shortly after making the remake of Dawn of the Dead um, and just had this like idea. And it does have some um, echoes of Dawn of the Dead, just even again, kind of in the beginning, the way the storytelling happens and the way the action happens, like, like definitely um, a little bit of that kind of feeling going on. Um, and basically wanted to come up with like a different way in it doing things. And I do love that he really wanted to do like a zombie heist film, which I think is kind of fun. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was kind his, of interesting. His, his thought process on it from this behind the scenes again is like, I didn't want to do it. This is the way we had done it before. And so I wanted to stack a whole bunch of crazy stuff on top of one another. And, and honestly, he didn't even stop there. Like nope. the description that he made in the behind the scenes, there is some weird stuff going on in this movie. Yes, there is. AJ, that we're going to have to talk about. But like there's there are definitely aliens. There are definitely robots. Like, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. I don't know and, what to. And, and, and some of yeah. the some of this they don't even address. It's just kind of like there. It's just there. Um, so I thought that was a little like and maybe maybe again, maybe there's a director's cut that we don't know about. I don't know. But uh, that d- explains a few of these things a little bit better. Um you, you hear a little bit more about this in the making of, so I highly recommend if you're into this kind of thing, do watch the making of. Um, I do think it's made for people that don't necessarily watch these types of movies because one of the things I was struck by, even including his discussion about the lenses and the cameras and, and how they map Vegas, none of these things are new. And same thing with the zombie makeup and stuff like that. None of these things are new in terms of making films. It might be new to people who don't know about filmmaking and this kind of a big scale project. But all the things that they're talking about are kind of standard for for like a horror film or any any film that's going to be on this big of a scale and in a location like Vegas where obviously you can't be out on the street. And then when you're talking about makeup for like tons, like hundreds of uh, zombie extras, like, of course, you're not going to be able to like to put each person in the makeup chair for hours upon hours when they're in the background, you know? So there's lots yeah. of stuff that I think are meant for people who maybe don't know about this stuff. So it felt like, I thought that was kind of interesting, the tone that they struck with the making of, um, because most of the people probably watching that are going to be people like you and me who are really into watching this, but I get it that maybe you, maybe they tried to strike the tone for people who aren't necessarily in the know and are interested in learning about it. So it's definitely worth watching though. And I thought it was cool to see just even some, of the like behind the scenes pieces where they are filming different things and even how they built the sets um like they brought the rubble in the practical sets and things like that that was pretty cool and I also enjoyed I enjoyed watching especially the pieces about the animals um that Mm -hmm. they show in this they have a zombie tiger and they have a zombie horse and especially the horse um you could tell that was a real horse oh yeah even in the in the movie oh uh, yeah it it definitely so naturally and the tiger obviously had some yeah. Had some uh, CGI. There was a cu- there were a couple shots in this that were like, oh yeah, that's pretty obviously CG. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tiger was was good. It was like definitely on the Shiva level of tiger <laughs> CG yeah. tiger yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, creations. But there were there was an early on scene where Zeus is attacking the soldiers. And it was just his movements didn't translate very well. Right. There's a few of those. Um, so but I, I, you know, I think it was on such a grand scale that you're going to have some of those choppy moments no matter what. Um, mm. And it definitely I do think um, initially I was a little bit worried um, just about some of the big scenes, like the really massive like set pieces. And when you were seeing sort of like the masses of zombies um, and I think you and I talked about this before and I was like, oh, I don't know how that looks. 
is it going to look a little bit too much like, um, oh gosh, why am I, uh, World War Z, where I feel like they didn't do the best job at showing those like big crowds, like, and they clearly had run out of money. So it was sort of like this not so great effort. Um, and it looked really like terrible, but I feel like they did a real, I think they did a pretty good job here at some of those pull away shots. Um, and to show just how many there were in the city and just their, just sort of their movements and things like that. And I will also say that they definitely had a lot of real people extras. Like a lot of this isn't, you know, especially when they're kind of running around the major sets and things like that, mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing like real extras and you could even see it in the making of, um, that a, a lot of effort was put in to actually like show people, um, or show extras and show zombies. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I can, this had to have been, you know, I'm not shocked that this took forever to edit and to do all the things that they needed to do. Um, it's just a, an incredibly, like with this many moving parts, just such an incredible undertaking um, for all the things that you had to do with it. I mean, cause you have, you have the underground scenes, you have the overground scenes, you've got the casino scenes, you have the, the, in the dark scenes, you've got the chopper scenes. Like there's so many, they, like they really kind of throw in everything, but the, but the kitchen sink in terms of this kind of stuff. So, so this, this movie was made for and by Netflix or not by Netflix, but made for Netflix. I, I don't know that there was, maybe there was a plan for a theatrical release at some point, but it doesn't feel like that. I feel like since we've heard about it, it's been, slated to come out on Netflix. Yeah, that's what I think too. And uh, the Netflix released some numbers last week, midweek, that it had gotten 72 million views, uh, hmm. which is tied for like ninth in the top 10 of all time Netflix movies. Number one being Extraction, which was that uh, Hemsworth movie um, yep, I watched that came that. out during COVID also. It was a really good movie. Obviously, there was a lot of like cinematography buzz about that one too, because the way they shot these um, tracking shots of of crazy combat and the cameraman was like jumping over buildings Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so that was number one and and then there's a whole slew of movies that you've heard of um that it came out on netflix and enola gay was one of them and and a few others uh and so the like one of the things this was from a deadline article which we'll also have in the show notes and one of the things that they mentioned is like props to netflix for even releasing this kind of information because a lot of the other streaming services like disney plus well and uh, HBO Max, they don't, they never tell people how many viewers or well, they have to sit. They usually report subscribers during their earnings calls, right? Because that's right. how they tell their investors that they're doing a great job. But Netflix uh, turned that corner, I don't know, a year or two ago when they started saying, this is our top 10. Maybe it's just last year, actually. But I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy seeing that now when I Me go too. to Netflix. And, and um, Army of the Dead was certainly on that chart last week, but I don't think it is anymore. Um, this more new stuff has been has come out or, or old stuff even like Pelican Brief is now on the top ten on Netflix and I'm like wow that movie I haven't seen that in a long time but well, I'm gonna watch it. It's funny you mentioned that because because Bill had never seen it and we saw that it was up there and so we watched it. It doesn't age as well as oh, you no. expect it to. Uh, not that I expected it to. I remember disliking it when I saw it in the theater, which I did see it in the theater, but. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that that's. Po- I wonder why that's made like a resurgence. I was curious about that because it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it was it's, you know, it's like I don't know, Prime Denzel and Julia Roberts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. um, so either way, like the Netflix reporting that this movie had gotten 72 million in its first week, I think, and Extraction got 99 in four weeks. So we'll see if it maybe starts climbing up that uh, rankings if Netflix continues to release numbers on the viewers. Um, I'd love to see a zombie movie do really well, uh, you know, modern times. Uh, but clearly, oh, yeah. One of the other ones that was really high on that list was Six six Feet Underground or Six Underground or something, which is a Ryan Reynolds movie from two years ago. It was so bad. It yeah, was so, so bad. Yeah. It was really expensive and really terrible. Yeah, we couldn't even finish watching it. Um, yeah. It was so bad. So there was that. So, however, um, that 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 uh, link will be in the show notes. Do you want to talk? Uh, start talking about the the plot and characters and performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and again, this is a film that had a lot of there was a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on. Um, of course, uh, we have a pretty like like this is um, you know for the for those of you who are into uh, Dave Bautista, he is in this as like the main sort of leader. Um, this fathery figure they have him in like glasses they have him as this like gentle giant but badass kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and you kind of see that from the beginning um but i think probably the most uh sort of and of course um we've got um a a few different people um ella purnell who i had not i feel like i've seen her in other things and i just don't recall but she looked very familiar to me she plays his daughter katie um and then there is just like just it's a pretty big cast, but you do get to know them pretty well. And then you've also got um, um, obviously Garrett Dillahunt. Um, and then probably the the biggest story uh, around this was um, Tig Notaro, who replaced Chris. Uh, is it Delia or Delia? Delia. Delia. Um, after there were some um, like uh, sexual assault. Um, allegations so they basically replaced him in the film I really like Tig Notaro so I was psyched to see her and I have to say I heard and, and then saw that uh, she was like pretty much put in green screen into everything so yeah, she, she wasn't did even one scene with yeah. a member of the cast and that was oh Ana de, de la Reguera who plays Maria Cruz mm-hmm. she did one scene with a human with a human actor and the rest of it was green screen and just like spliced into the movie which is kind of bananas but it is a little noticeable too when they go to hire her yeah there's like a couple and then even in how they have her doing some of the lines and things like that because I knew about this going into it I'm like oh yeah well I guess that makes sense and that's a little awkward you know what I mean like like there was a couple but I didn't know would you I don't know that you would have noticed as much right but it's helpful that uh, David uh, Scott Ward Dave Batista only ever refers to that character as Peters a lot of them go by their last names except for Scott who mm-hmm. I think is Scott to everybody and yeah. Anna his, or Kate, his daughter. Everybody else seems to have a, a last name situation um, if they get called anything. But like Dieter, I didn't I, I didn't realize that was his last name. So, um, yeah, other other real. I mean, the cast, the ensemble is really good. It's yeah, strong. They're great. Right? Uh, Omari Hardwick is good as Vandero, a little bit underused, but has like a significant role. Mm-hmm. Um, Ana de la, de la Reguera is good as Maria Cruz. Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy and other things, but I th- always think of uh, yeah. Sons of Anarchy when I see him, is uh, a great, useful idiot and bad all-around bad guy. Um, uh, Burt Cummings from, and, and I really enjoyed his role. And this Matthias uh, Schweighofer guy. He was guy, great. He was fantastic. He's great, and he's, he's an important person to mention because he is directing the prequel. He's directing... And he is 
cast it's the story about his character is there's going to be a prequel movie i don't know if the i had realized this did you realize this no i did not um so but that we i knew liked, that there was an animated series or an animated something i knew that out. but i just didn't know that there was this this prequel thing um and they definitely set this up to have sequels clearly um so uh, yeah I mean, I'm I'm pretty. I would be pretty interested to see what's what's about to happen next, honestly. Right, but um, I liked, but I liked him a lot. Um, he was as, a really a comic relief character, but but well written and well performed. Uh, his screams are some of the best. Chef's yeah, kiss. definitely. Um, and then there was also uh, Nora um, Arnazad. I I don't know how to Arnazader. Arnazader. Um, and she was like, she was really good as sort of the. You know the the badass um, like rebel who's leading people into this city to get money, like kind of like a coyote, which is kind of what they call her. Um, but I thought she was very good. It's kind of random that she's a French lady in Las Vegas as a coyote, but sure, well, you know, she's she's uh, she she plays a good badass, so she does a good she job. She does, she does. Hiroyuki um, Sonata uh, is a very recognizable dude. Ever since uh, the Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, he's been yep. playing like samurais a lot yeah and, and, and in this and, uh, he's he's, his he's not though he's just like a business guy in this one so i thought it was nice he's playing against type a little bit um i mean he's and, still like a like a hard ass but he's he's a little bit more of a showman i don't know i thought this was kind of an interesting role for him not really a lot of him on screen but it was still cool and then there was samantha Wynn, um who you know gets taken out kind of early <sighs> Um, um, yeah, I, I want to talk about that and her a lot more when we get to that part. And then the... Anna uh, Delal, I think, did you mention her? Anna yeah. Delal, yeah. So she's, I mean, she's pretty, she, I feel like she's a pretty recognizable uh, actor from, you know, Narcos and uh, I think she and Goliath too, I think. Um, yeah, she's in Goliath. And so, and I think she's an incredible actor, so I would like to see her in a lot more. And I thought she was just solid in this too. Um, so, you know, that's, um, you know, and not her, not her first, uh, sort of reckoning with aliens. I, this is a horrible film, but she was in Cowboys and Aliens yeah. <laughs> a while ago. So, you know, we got her going on. Um, but. Raul Castillo, uh, as Guzman, who the, who's the, this guy who's like a video, it seems like he's into, he's, they, they got him because he was making YouTube videos about killing zombies. Yep. Uh, and like double, triple headshots, and so they they recruited <laughs> they recruited him for that, which I thought was pretty funny. Yep. And then he brings along a little crew with him, including Chambers and some yep. other guy who like pieces out. And I wasn't, I mean, in in retrospect, I'm not really sure that that was super necessary for the story, other than just to be like, yeah, not everybody's going to go for this. I don't know if you had a take on that. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that that was kind of a, um, um. I thought that that actually made kind of sense because one of the, and that's a little bit of a tongue in cheek thing. You have all these people kind of planning to go and do this crazy thing. Um, I do think that it makes sense for a character to basically like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's That's, absolutely bananas. Um, So I kind of, I kind of liked that. Um, And then um, I feel like we also have to talk about, um, about the, um, sort of the the alpha zombies too so you've got the 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 zeus guy um who is basically a former uh soldier and he's he is played by uh richard uh citrone and then the queen is also and and i i will also say um these two 
particularly Zeus and the Queen, and I guess maybe one of their kind of generals, right, have yeah. probably the most elaborate out of the... Um, there's other people, there's other zombies that you see up close, but these have um, um, more... Their ma- makeup is just much more elaborate, and it's very... Yeah. It's kind of very clear that it's... Um, you know, clear clear that it's hours and hours and hours were spent on their makeup and their special effects. Um, they get a lot of close-ups. Yeah, and they're like, you know, like un, almost like unending uh, close-ups. And the queen is played by um, Athena Parample. Um, and I think to me anyway, it's very clear that she w- she's got some kind of uh, dance or like acrobat like some kind of training maybe parkour and other stuff like the way she moves it's like ah okay you know this is this is somebody who's clearly done some of this physical stuff for a living um so um oh and look at that yes she is a dance trained dancer uh so there you go Mm -hmm. um but um and i think that they definitely in some ways they they are almost some weirdly like they are developed in this despite having you know more guttural and screamy lines but you kind of get a sense of who they are throughout this film um so a little bit a little bit i wish a little bit more of a backstory that you could understand and that's one of my one of my critiques of this that i wish there was a little bit more given about this um that's so by design you can tell that snyder like rebels and just putting out breadcrumbs and and even with his uh, interviews before this movie came out, he's like, maybe those robots are there to monitor the situation. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's, he's yeah. just, you know, he's being the, the Snyderist that he can possibly be in this. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is that, you know, in terms of the storyline, the backstory with these zombies, this is of an alien origin. We had talked about this extensively because they had been basically doing teasers for this forever. Um, and, you know, the effects that you can kind of, so, so it's like the usual like trope where it's like the, the army or whoever is transporting this dangerous thing and it gets out um and it's this is of alien origin i think that there's clearly like some sense that there is something different going on with this it's not a contagion film it's definitely like something that's happening to evolve um the human or host it's like honestly it's a little bit aliens like um without the sort of parasitic nature i guess of of aliens but it's something that clearly is changing humans into something else they're a lot stronger um and there's different levels of this i guess so if you're if you're gonna be if you're part of sort of the initial um like parasitic uh, parasitic infection or whatever it is whatever you want to call it magic blue sparkly stuff of alien origin i guess is what you know it kind of looks like to me um then you are sort of an alpha and capable of thought and planning and you're not necessarily just taking people out, but you create kind of like drones, kind of like mindless shamblers is what they call them, um, which are more typical zombie-like behavior. They don't really do anything other than, it seems like they kind of take orders from from Zeus and maybe the queen, but like they are not, um, they're definitely a lot more in the traditional zombie-like world um the shamblers or the alphas the shamblers yeah yeah we only really see shamblers in the in that one hotel scene where they're inside um and then I, I think most of the action is really alphas versus uh, scott right. ward's team right as and the movie then progresses. and then you've got of course the zombie animals and 
robots that they never really go into, which was kind of weird that they never, ever talk about that at all. And I, again, I would say I suspect that there, if there is a director's cut, maybe you find out more. This is already like two and a half hours, though, just as an FYI. So I don't know. But then again, Justice League was like four hours. So, mm-hmm. so no, I think I think the, they're, they're going to save a lot of this, ex, you know, this stuff, this background for like things like the prequel that they're doing now and the the animated series there'll be there's plenty of time they have plenty of time to uh, to milk this all these easter eggs and breadcrumbs that Snyder has put into this so lots of space here um what did you think of the dialogue between the two soldiers driving the Humvee I thought it was kind of it was I mean it's more of this like playing with the audience stuff where they're just like uh speculating on what it is that's in their payload which is they're like, it's yeah. the staff of Ra. It's the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. And it was very like Indiana Jones. And, and <laughs> they make like those tongue cheek references. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, and I thought that was, you know, that was like kind of a silly way to set it up. And it's also, I think, a little bit of a, a nod and a wink at the audience so that you kind of know exactly the film that you're walking into here, that you're not supposed to take it all that seriously, but it's supposed to be. Um, and, and they're basically naming, honestly, like the plots of films that are very, very summer blockbustery, right? So this is like exactly they're basically setting the audience up which i thought was kind of fun um and there is also a scene um when they drive through the initial checkpoint in the convoy there are two glowing lights in the sky floating over the uh the the military base that zip off into the into the clouds as they drive through the checkpoint which has been pointed out by you know people who are (laughs) speculating about everything but there's those are definitely ufos like in the first one of the first scenes of the movie, which is kind of bananas. Um, so we got UFOs check, uh, and then uh, and then the zombie comes out of the uh, the broken open payload when the inevitable and predictable car crash happens. Although a Hemet like that, the big truck, I don't know that it would explode uh, quite so spectacularly. Those are pretty tough trucks. Um, but there's also, I'm sure you noticed it, an MRAP in this convoy. I did. I did. They, uh, however, don't use it at all as a combat vehicle, unlike Fear the Walking Dead, which cannot stop uh, trying to employ it. And um, this scene, this series of scenes is it's both funny because these two guys have a bit of a witty repartee and the, the their conversation in the car before the car accident is kind of amusing. And then when they run away, there's like a funny element right before they get killed, which is I thought was was neat. And I was like, this is, yeah, this was hitting the right notes for me in terms of exciting and, um, and also amusing. Yeah, no, I thought that that was a nice, it was a nice opening. And I, I enjoyed like the start of this and also the transformation just, you know, of the soldiers and how that went down and, and, you know, you know, the, the, the classic tropes where it's like they, they radio back and they're like, get away from the vehicle. And, you know, you've got that whole tension and lead up. And then, of course, people aren't getting away from the vehicle. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, and then, of course, I don't want to say hilarity ensues. Um, you know, zombies ensue. Um, a zombie plague ensues. And you've got a nice, like, like scene where it sets up basically the whole montage of what happens um, with, the, with the soldier zombies looking over las vegas um yeah so that's this, this montage takes us so there's there's one thing that's happening in this montage that never gets explained or even referred to i think and that's this mom the the story it's kind of like the story of the mom i think um i mean it, it, it doesn't start with that scene of her and the camper van and she's just shooting into this crowd of zombies in the suburbs yep 
you for you recall the one I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. She's like saving her daughter who's mm-hmm. like a tween and this woman is a brunette. She has shoulder length hair and she's firing uh, an M16. In the background, there's a big dude who has the silhouette of Dave Batista. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not really sure if it was him, but it definitely looks a lot like him. And they're together in future uh, montage elements. Right. And so this woman goes from saving there. She's kind of like wearing uh, a nice outfit and her hair is like down. And then in future scenes, her hair is like in like. I don't know, dystopian Mad Max <laughs> hairstyles. And she just continues to go through killing people. You get a, you get Vanderoe is in one of these sequences. Like, like they're just using um, the saw to, to let some people out of a car. And then she realizes that they're bitten and she shoots them both. I'm watching this and I'm like, who is this lady going to be? And this, she's definitely going to be a major character uh, in this movie, right? <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> uh, but of course, yeah, as the as the scenes continue and progress, we have more of, of this group of people. We see uh, Maria Cruz shooting a zombie and breaking it down from head to toe with a with a 50 cal, which I thought was an insane, sh- yep. insane shot. Um, and then finally, they uh, they get out of the encircled um, Las Vegas, but this lady and her daughter don't make it. And you know, Scott Ward is is very upset, but like, wow, it, this is I mean, this is the thing you're referring to. This is something that Zack Snyder apparently just has like a really keen eye for and, and knows how to do this kind of storytelling. But I definitely wanted to watch that more than once. But after I got through with it, I was like, wow, what just happened there? And I need to obviously go back and see this again because you're watching it as it's happening. And you're like, oh, well, I'm sure I'll find out more about this lady and her daughter as the movie begins, you know? Yep. And no. yes and no um and i feel like that was like a whole scene to basically set up like the 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 loss and to make you and 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 as i said like i think it's just an art to be able to tell a story in this way because you are kind of invested as you said i was also under the impression that this was going to be a major character and i was taken a bit aback when suddenly she like her whole storyline from beginning to end is a honestly like a few seconds long, but you learn so much about this particular character and you know, just visually they tell what's happened to her, like from the start of this to the end of this, she gets her daughter and like, it's uh, really just sort of incredible that you're, you're kind of invested in the character and then she's taken out immediately. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's like interesting. Um, but I do think that that probably that storyline was meant to give depth to Dave Bautista's uh, character, Scott, um, and some of the others, and what they went through, and they have to—you have to see that immense loss. And they even show, obviously, with him having to take out his wife with his daughter watching. Um, and they show every single one of these characters just about. At least the main—you show it shows him, um, his daughter um, Maria. Yes. Yeah, Marie, yeah. You yeah. mean in the montage? Yeah. Yeah, they show them all in the montage. Actually, um, I don't know that his daughter is. I think that the scene where he's killing his wife and saving his daughter from her is actually a dream that he has after oh, okay. Tanaka has come to him. Okay, so sorry. it's not a part of the montage, but it might as well be. Um, but the, also, they're the one of the stylistic things they're doing during this montage is they're holding a photo of their families in front of. Right. Like, maybe a that's why I got confused backdrop. with it. But that you can see like that they had their family. There's like this weird like honestly, it's like an Avedon kind of photo thing where they're they're showing who they were before and who they are now yeah. um yeah. and that also was an interesting um tool to be to to show like what 
what was happening. Um, so I really enjoyed that particular, that whole setup I thought was great. And um, I think that the one criticism I have for this film is that that whole setup was much more storytelling than you then get later um, to speak with the script and with the development of the characters. Um, I feel like the script probably could have used a little punching up and a little bit of, um, of depth to it. Um, because, you know, you can be cheesy and schlocky with zombie films, but you still want to care about the characters. And I didn't care as much as I wanted to, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. I felt like I didn't, like, it felt like there was a little bit of depth missing. Um, and there specifically, and again, this was done green screen and there's an explanation for it, but the, the Tignotaro Peters character, um, it feels like there is a little bit more of a backstory there that they don't necessarily dive into and that there's things that you're supposed to be putting weight on, um, that mm. obviously this character is just usually out for herself. And, um, you know, there, there's definitely things that they're implying with some of the lines that Peters says. Um, and I do think Tignotaro does a great job and is also hilarious no matter what. Uh, so there is like a funny bit to this and to this kind of a tropey character, but I feel like they could have done just a bit more with it to make it hit better and it fell a little flat. And I felt I, that with a lot of, and I felt like that with a lot of the characters too. Like even, even the Garrett Dillhunt character, um, you know, and again, this is a great cast. So we know that they have the chops to do it. And even Dave Batista's character, Scott, like you're, you're supposed to see that he's sort of this paternal leader but you don't, and he does a great job, but there's not enough um, depth to the script and to the interaction between the characters to really feel that um, dedication to him. Um, and they're, and they're, you know, they imply things with some of the, the ways that, you know, some of the scenes between him and his daughter and him and Maria, um, and you, they're implying some things, but you're mm. not getting to like, I don't feel like it hits as a solid blow like when by the time honestly by the time uh, maria is giving him a hard time after his daughter has already given him a hard time for like right. being you know too cut off or whatever emotionally unavailable i'm just like oh, okay like i get it they want to give dave batista some like emotional scenes or something maybe i don't know but it, it was too much like one of those was okay the second one felt uh, like egregious. It was just too much. It was just too much to throw at this poor Scott Ward in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Like, you want to have these conversations? Let's wait till we're out of Las Vegas. Was was you know? I, mean, I know they need to do this for pacing and and stuff, but that was for me. I was just by the by the second ad admonishment that he was getting, I was just like kind of over it. Well, um, and the admonishment during a pretty high stress, high stakes part like it didn't make sense i agree with no, you like where it's happening where it's happening it doesn't make sense that they would be getting into this at this point no. um maybe before maybe after but definitely not in the middle of this heist and it seemed i actually thought and i know like pacing and they're trying to like take you from the action to like these moments but i felt like these it didn't it honestly made it seem like it dragged on longer um and felt a little a little disjointed because of it. Um, so this is the part of the storytelling that I was like, yeah, this could have been sort of polished up a little bit. But frankly, for the movie that this is, those were the only two, those were the only points where I was like actually disappointed. Uh, the rest of the time it was kind of hitting the notes that I was expecting it to hit, but also surprising me at times too. Right. I had um, to so. ask you, so you said at some point that you were watching this at night and you were like, <laughs> had to stop. And yeah. I, I will admit, and I'm you not, know, you know what part this was. No, honestly, you, can, you can't imagine. Okay. No. It's, it's when, um, Garrett Dillahunt's, oh, perfectly cast evil, uh, you know, anyway, I've, I've got a whole theory that I want to tell you about his character too. 
Um, but it's when he's dropped, he's thrown, he's thrown the, uh, the, the chem light the wrong way. And, um, Chambers is crawl is about to crawl through the tunnel of zombies. I was just like, I'm in bed. My wife is sleeping next to me. It's midnight 30 or whatever. I'm like, I know there's going to be a jump scare and I don't want to wake her up. <laughs> oh, okay. Cause I was just sort of like, I don't know. I mean, I, I knew it was coming, but I guess, yeah, that makes much more sense in that context. Cause I was like. I'll admit I did not find this thing really terrifying. It's not a horror movie, right? Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's, it's a more thriller action slash, thriller yeah, or action something. Movie. But anyway, okay, well, that makes a lot more sense because I kept being like, I actually kept being like, what part is he talking about? <laughs> so. I, I'm just going to bust out my, my theory here. And that's not really even a theory, but it's more of an observation. But the also, so Chambers... Um, by Samantha, uh, played by Samantha Wynn. Samantha Wynn is like a martial artist. She's she's a real badass lady. She is playing Chambers, who is um, Guzman's buddy, who's also turns out to be a complete killing machine. And oh, after yeah. that, I should also off. point out that she makes appearances in just about. I mean, she makes appearances Every in a Zach lot Snyder of Zack Snyder films. So she was in the Three Hundred. Yeah, she's been she was some in, Amazons. She's been yeah, yeah. Uh, so she's yeah. been in a lot of stuff, and she's also a stunt person. So she's definitely yeah. like, and you can you can tell like she's. She's totally a badass. She, she has such an amazing send off. I mean, and it's protracted. Like she mm-hmm. kills, I don't know how many zombies she's doing such great work. Yep. And I was really happy with the way that that scene ended up. I had, I obviously when the scene began, I was like, can't do it. Got to check out. I'll come back tomorrow. And then I kind of wish I had stuck around because she just, she does such great work in that uh, scene. However, yep. the red bandana that she wears um, reminds me a lot of the character Vasquez from Aliens. Oh yeah, and I think uh, it's a deliberate. That, uh, I think Garrett it's a... Hunt is playing uh-huh. uh, is a complete um, Burke or yeah Burke, except that he's more of a more of a shooter. Like, but he he it's like a it's almost like a parallel sort of. Uh-huh. I think uh, it's I'm deliberate. Gonna, yeah, I'm gonna betray everybody, and then the the scene with the helicopter at the end is straight out of. They get to the top of the hotel, and Bishop has taken the the drop ship off of the platform, and they're like. Bishop, you jerk! And then he comes back and takes them off the top of the building. I mean, there are there are more than a few parallels or direct right. references to the movie Aliens here that I I was like, holy crap, this is actually happening. But it was it was a lot of fun to see, and I, I, I agree with you. I think it was deliberate. Like you can't put that red bandana around a badass lady's head and not uh, and think not, of that Vasquez. And not be like that is one hundred percent Vasquez right, right there. Right. So that was those were all really fun for me to uh, to notice. I'm sure there have been, and yes, there are. There's a lot of articles about this. Um, just about oh, there are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just did a quick Google. I noticed it, and again, I'm a huge Aliens fan. I love that. I love that whole. Uh, I, I that that franchise. I think is like one of my favorite things. Um, but yeah. Um, there is somebody actually um, we should throw it. Somebody put something up on medium, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the title is uh, Zack Snyder's army of the dead, a tribute to aliens question mark. And all that's missing are the face huggers. And they kind of go point by point. And there's a lot of spoilers in this, but it's kind of fun. Okay. Um, so I, I need to read that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just, I guess I should have read this. Oh, and one of the things that they point out is that one, the main character Ripley has all these horrible nightmares. So that actually is something like the day, but Scott Ripley. Ward is having having nightmares, so you yeah. know I will say he doesn't look as uh, he doesn't look as cool in his his outfit as Ripley does with her gun toting moment, but you know it's well, still yeah. pretty good. 
I mean, part of the payoff for that moment is that she's not a gun toter, right? She was like a yeah. She was like a vice pilot or something, or she was a, a freighter yep. pilot, yep. wasn't she? Yeah. And so for her then to suddenly be like, now I'm a marine, it's like yeah. But Scott Ward, of course, is always a badass, and so all of this is like more gunned up than the uh, the other versions. I mean, even Vasquez, I don't think, could have held her own against that many zombies like Chambers does. Right. Um, and I will also point out that that gun toting scene in the elevator with Ripley, where mm-hmm. she's like putting the the guns on her and like waiting to come out is like probably one of the best like moments I think in in filmmaking in terms of like horror films and things like that it's just a really well done scene so Mm. um just as an aside one of my faves um so um yeah so that's that's a thing and I would say yeah those that was a whole thing so there's there's um Scenes from the uh, refugee camp. There's this whole sort of subplot of this film. And I re- actually, I'll say another area of this film where I was disappointed was Sean Spicer being involved in this project at any point. Uh, mm. But he he plays a talking head who is clearly like a Fox News yeah. jerk who's, yeah. who's arguing to nuke the refugee camp, I feel like. It, it, it wasn't 100% sure. But... Um, and then, you know, Scott Ward's daughter, Kate, is a volunteer at this refugee camp. And uh, she has these interactions with this family, this woman named, oh God, Gita, and her two children. And that's kind of like how they know the coyote. Um, the Gita character, I mean, that's how you get Kate to enter the, the hot zone. But, um, spoiler alert, did she die in the, in the helicopter crash? I think so. They never really, like, show, but, like... I, I, Everybody else you see is dead. Right, <laughs> so, so... Except for um, her. I think we only saw like yeah, so I think only the daughter makes it out. At least that's what's implied. Um, and then the reference that that Scott Ward makes is that you know that Kate is still supposed to get Gita's kids out of the camp. Although I also have a question about that because I thought that the camps were so close to to Las Vegas that I feel like they may not have survived. So they I were guess, evacuated. They were all going. Okay, to okay. I didn't know. It felt like because they had moved up the timeline that it might be that right. they'd been destroyed. But that was a yeah. that was actually one hole in the story that I just well, wish they had like kind of closed up or at least had some. It was, it was fairly clear to me because Cummings is telling a couple right. of people that this is the last bus. Yeah, If yeah, you don't yeah. get That's on it, true. you're going to be That's dead. true. Um, so anyway, um, there is, uh, but then they show the kids that have not gotten on the bus. So I guess that was where my confusion was. But, um, but you know, and, and again, this is also, it's clearly touching upon some political things currently going on. So to have Sean Spicer show up in this, in this whole talking heads thing and for, for CNN and to have these sort of debates. And I mean, honestly, even with some of the things that they're doing in the camps with the temperature checks, I mean, how can you not think about triggering? How can you not think about what's happening? And, and so that I think he's clearly trying to make some kind of a comment on some of those things. Um, But those scenes must've been shot in 2019. You know, right, like, right, but still. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we, we've got some of those things going on, too, in this. Um, and I also, I don't know, like, if you're going to make those commentaries, what commentary exactly are you making, right? Like, so it's a little bit like, oh, well, we don't want to be stopped from doing this destruction because of the objection of all these other people about this destruction. So we're going to move up the timeline to do it before we can be stopped. I think that that's a very clear um, in-your-face um, reference, right? Um, so, I, like, I, I don't know. So there's definitely some of that going on, but not enough of it that it really makes sense. Like, not to the extent that clearly George Romero's uh, Dawn of the Dead is a, a 
commentary on consumerism and, and military and all this other stuff. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. it's as like in your face as some of that stuff, but it's definitely that's, there throughout this. Yeah. This part of my thing is this, that this stuff doesn't really have any place in this movie or it doesn't need no, to. And it, it doesn't, doesn't need, need to, to be in this movie. So like either do it all the way and do it right. Or just, just get off of that. Right, you right. don't, you don't need, you don't need the, these, yes. Okay. Like some of these scenes and the points that the woman who Sean Spicer is talking to or is making are valid, which is like, yeah, there's inequity is going to, you know, equity is like this, this casualty on, uh, in these refugee camps, like anybody who is a person of color, et cetera, is going to be, you know, considered, um, like they could just stay in these camps forever as far as the establishment is concerned. So, yeah, but again, I don't think that, I don't think that this movie needed to really go there. there. I think, and that was the one part. And I thought if they had maybe dispensed with that and just focused a little bit more and not tried so hard to sort of, to me, shove that stuff in. um, I think it would have been a better film if you'd focused a little bit more on the character development um, and Mm. the stories of these characters. So that was one part that I was like, I wish they had done this a little bit more. So, um, Sorry, what else was I? Going well, to say? so he's assembled his team, uh, which includes Deet, this safe cracker Dieter, uh, and he's just a really enjoyable character. He's kind of got this light to him, where he's talking about the safe, and uh, you know, it's named the the safe that they have to break into is named after Wagner's um, like um, opus, the Götterdämmerung, uh, and the rest of the team, like this woman Maria, who is this mechanic, and he, Scott Ward is that's the first person he goes to recruit. Um, it's kind of interesting too, to see like Tanaka offers him $50 million to get $200 million out of Las Vegas. And then he's like, and you can pay your team out of the 50 million that I'm going to give you. And, and then it's kind of interesting to see how he offers each person a different sum of money. Yep. There is that. Uh, <laughs> and this is a little bit, you know, even building the team, this is a little bit of a like competency porn. Cause you kind of see why each of these people, and it's almost like their level of competence is equal to the amount of money that he offers them or whatever value he places them in terms of the team. So Tignataro, mm. because she's the pilot, gets a pretty substantial st- sum. And also these are people that he has specific relationships with, um, and so that, except for Dieter. Um, but obviously Dieter is a pretty important um, a pretty important member uh, just because of, you know, what he is yeah. going to do, but yet he still isn't given offered as much money as say Maria or the other. So and um, Guzman, I think he offers Guzman like 200. K, yeah. 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 It's still so a lot of money. For, it is. You know, but they're saying it's like one day's work or whatever. However, it's but one then, day's and work. Then Guzman hires two other people out of his own cut, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And I was half of me was expecting him to say, and now we're going to, take all the money here, you know, the whole treasure of Sierra Madre kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, I thought that they were going to go for a double cross like that. I also thought that that might be um, happening when Tignataro is clearly, you know, especially with the with the uh, Dill Hunt character where she's like, uh, are we really just going to, like, not incentivize us to, like, kill this guy so he's not you know doing what what he's doing and i mean it's a pretty obvious thing so i just thought that was interesting um Mm -hmm. but um and it does make sense so i was like there's going to be a double cross at some point with one of these characters and it didn't really fully i mean well it doesn't take long for him to totally burk chambers well Uh, right 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 so that's he actually like locks a door it's so aliens right he locks chambers in with a bunch of zombies and she still comes out that was a little disappointing too. Was that she's? It doesn't look like she's that far away from them. And they're no. like, "She's done. Let her go." And I'm like, "Just 
kill all those zombies that are around her. Right. She can take care of herself. She I probably, and she seems to be doing a pretty good job of it. Um, so, yeah, no, so there's that part. And also, I mean, it does become clear later because I was just like, okay, so they're going to get this money. I don't know how much sense this makes because you have to have so much trust. And, it, you know, clearly you're sending a team of people who really, if, if money is motivating them that much, um, you have to be very careful about a double cross, which is obviously mm-hmm. why the, the Dill Hunt character is there to kind of keep an eye on things. However, um, it feels like there has to be more than this given the stakes. Um, and there is obviously more to this, um, which is about figuring out how to sort of have a control over like an alpha army or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and that's obviously, more about what the the motivation is to go in and do this. Um, it's kind of crazy to think it once you realize that that was Tanaka's end game. Like, why not just send them in to do that? And but he doesn't want to pay them out of his own pocket. I guess he can yeah, pay them maybe. out of his vaults. So, but they could have been in and out. Right. Really, it right? seems and more successful. Right. More. Yeah. And so, and not only has he sent this team in, he sent multiple teams in. Um, and I actually kind of liked the well, whole callback, like that this is like actually a time loop, which I thought yeah. was pretty funny. Um, Zack Snyder has said like, yeah, yeah that, that's basically them. And that each time they've gone in, they've gotten a little further. So he's like, when they're when they find the blueprints and there's a bunch of bodies around that table, that's the team again. And when they find more bodies in the vault, that's also the team. Um, and I mean, it's it's he doesn't say that that's actually what's happened, but he's like, and what if? You yeah, know, I know. He's, just he's not doing... gonna he's not gonna be very specific, but yeah, it's, he just that's likes just another element. It's just <laughs> again, you if you had focused a little bit more on some of these other storytelling things, I think it would have been a stronger, more fun film. Um, but yeah, he had to throw that stuff in. I mean, he's, I love the fact that he's such a nerd and clearly into sci-fi films that this is the stuff that he's throwing out there and trying to get in there, but it's a lot to fit into a film like this. So you have to like kind of pick and choose what you're going to do. And I think it would have been a cleaner, better, more impactful story had he not done a couple of these things. And so that's, you know. I think it's funny, and I think that specific idea is kind of funny, especially when you have them lay it out like that. But um, mm-hmm. and very almost also very video gamey kind of right. Um, so and uh, like I also thought again another alien film, um, which I truly think didn't get um, didn't get enough um, fanfare when it came out. Um, like uh the the whole the film with um Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise um, oh yeah I Edge thought of Tomorrow Edge of that Tomorrow movie has only gotten better with time and it definitely did not do as well as it deserved it didn't age. and so I also felt like that was a little bit of a callback to this to, to where in this they were sort of that was a bit uh, of a callback to, yeah. to that which is yet another alien invasion kind of film so I thought that there's certainly a theme there but he's almost too clever for his own good to try to like bring that into it um but um well, he's got it i mean i keep saying this but there's a chance all of, almost all of these actors are billed as playing themselves in the animated series hmm. so it's not just going forwards in time i, I it might all be prequel right and so we'll maybe see we'll, some of it maybe we'll, we'll get to see some more of it yeah like the only person who i haven't seen i haven't looked at absolutely everybody but garrett dillahunt does not appear to be billed in the animated series but uh omari hardwick dave batista 
others. But are. this is the thing, though. You have to you have to basically review a film on its merits, right? You're right. You so yeah. whether these things happen or not, you still have to sort of judge this on its merits and at, at its just it alone. And so that that does bother me a little bit because I would like part of me just was like, ah, oh, I wish they had just kind of cleaned this up a little bit. So anyway, but um, so they're going in. And they have their whole team. Everybody is very skilled in what they do, except, and, and I mean, even Dieter, though Dieter is not as skilled at killing zombies. Um, they kind of go in and have all of this sort of, um, they have the coyote that basically knows that this weird thing is happening with the zombies, that they are, there's the differences between the alphas and the shamblers. Um, she understands their rules of the game, which, you know, I think it makes sense that she's been going in long enough that she gets it and they have to give them kind of like a sacrificial lamb and they'll leave them alone. Um, and that they are very interested in kind of doing their own thing and, um, you know, I, like, it's really funny to me because, I, like, I will admit to you, I was like, oh, God, is he going to bring in a zombie baby the minute that they had the king and the queen kind of doing their crazy, sexy stuff together? I was like, oh, no, <laughs> is this going to be it? He loves zombie babies. We saw Dawn of the Dead. He did that. Yeah, we did. Um, and I was like, it's going to it's going to happen. And yes, yes, they did. Um, I'm not quite sure what the mechanism for this zombie baby is. Also, again, a little alien, I suppose, um, that the human body is like a host or the dead human body or whatever. So I thought that was a little, you know, strange. What did you think about that? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, not, I, I'm I, um, sure he's wanting to do something different. He's doing something different. These zombies clearly have like their hair is growing. You know, we see yep. uh, Zeus changes from like a, sh- a high and tight to uh, long hair yep. as the, uh, in the course of the film. This woman, the queen, is apparently pregnant. She doesn't look pregnant at all. And that baby is pretty big when he rips it out of her later mm-hmm. on. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, she doesn't look pregnant at all, like I'm saying. And, and she's his like welcome, Matt, for uh, for dead Las Vegas, too. I mean, you would think. There'd be a lot of risk involved in doing something like why that. Why not so. have any of these other alphas be that person? I mean, maybe right. she's just the smartest and, and best. And, you know, obviously in terms of like just efficiency of running this movie, they want her to have a, a significant role. And, right. and and so there you go. I guess you can knock out two birds with one stone there. But right. Little, but the other, it is a little sketchy. And then the other part that I found, like, again, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I wish they had tightened up this storyline a little bit. Is that clearly, so not only does the coyote know that these things exist, but the Garrett, I shouldn't keep calling him the Garrett Dillard, the Martin character, is Burke, whatever you (laughs) want to call him, is very much aware of this too, and that's his whole purpose for going in, is that he's going to basically get one of these or capture one of these and, and, or enough of one of these to make a new little, like, zombie army for somebody, um, and so he knows enough of their mechanisms, too, and he's seen enough of them that part of me, like, even in sort of how he's hunting the queen and how he does this, to me it kind of doesn't, you know, like, he would have just, why would you continue even into the casino to get, like, if if your purpose is to do this, why not then get the heck out because you kind of know that they're going to hear her. Um, and that they're going to come and explore that, the, that Zeus is going to come and try to like, and then once he does all, all it's true, like, yeah, it's sort of like all, all there's no, there's no more truce at that point. And also why leave the body of the, the zombie queen out there for all to find? You could, I mean, I'm not saying you're 
going to need be, have time to build like a a grave, but you can at least disguise it enough that they won't discover it. Maybe, but maybe they have maybe they have more of a sense of smell or something that they'll discover it. But my point is, is that if he knows that that is the reason behind this, and he now has the goal of that, why go into the casino? He, right? He's closer to the exit where he where they cut off her head. Yeah, they should have left immediately. Right. So I was just troubled. Well, they don't have a riot anymore. I think they needed the helicopter. I guess okay. that's the reason why okay, they have maybe. to they have to stay because all the buses are gone. But they could have just I don't know. He could have had a car place there, right? He has resources. She can still get out through the uh, the container wall, right? Um, so yeah, that's a good point. Well, I guess it, it also is good that it goes the way it does because he gets to be even more double crossy. <laughs> and yeah, he know. goes out he goes out in a great death scene too. Oh, he does. Um and I did kind of like that, you know, so again, this is all spoilers all the time. Maybe we should mark that for people at the beginning. We should have probably. Um but in any case, um you know, he gets to have a great death by Tiger, by Zombie Tiger. Um and I did so, think that yeah. that Garrett Dillahunt in the behind the scenes said that's not the first time he was killed by a tiger in a movie. Yeah, Do remember, I don't Do you know what he's talking about? Um I don't know. Other, certainly wasn't <laughs> Walking Dead. I'm just like, what else? I mean, he's done a lot, so it it, it might be hard to uh, to to drill down. But so apparently, he he did his own stunts for that scene too. And um, even in the interview and behind the scenes, he mentions that his neck hurts, like <laughs> he was getting thrown all over the place. Oh, I think he's in like a um, he. Apparently, he was in a film called Burning Bright in 2010 Mm -hmm. um and they're they're trapped in a house with a hungry tiger brought in uh these like there was like a hungry tiger in the house so maybe that's what he's talking about i mean makes sense um i will also point out that this particular film burning bright also stars meatloaf so you know it's a quality film (laughs) oh god i mean well you know fight club yeah i know but i'm saying it's got to have like a level of cheesiness if it's got meatloaf in it so, um, but anyway, um, there you got, there you go. Um, there you go. But, um, the, the safe cracking scene, let's, uh, I mean, I know we're kind of jumping around a lot on this movie, but there are, there, you know, there's some great set pieces. Then the safe cracking scene is good. It provides all this opportunity for Omari Hardwick and, mm-hmm. uh, Matthias Schweighofer as Vandero and Ludwig Dieter, respectively. They, they kind of form this buddy relationship. Where um, Vandero is like his uh, his mentor in like survivalism, mm-hmm. I guess, because they also he teaches them how to shoot, et cetera, before they go in. And um, now their rapport, I believe, it's fu- it's good, right? They have good they have good chemistry. Yep, and, and I and, and I do believe their relationship building, and that's the thing is like when you see it in sort of like so successful, it's like why couldn't they have done this? And again, maybe stuff got cut out, and we'll see things in the director's cut that was was sort of built in. And knowing Zack Snyder, that's probably definitely the case. Um, <laughs> But in their in their particular little like uh, rapport, and they're definitely sort of the comic relief. So they're they're using their scenes as a way to, um, first of all, you show their bonding and things like that. There's a little competency porn um, with Dieter and his whole safe cracking ability. So you're like that's kind of enjoyable to watch and see how good he is at that. Um, just as good as Vanderho is at survival. 
Um, so that is kind of a fun thing. I like and also scenes. carting in the shamblers to yep. trigger all the traps was a really enjoyable sort Again, of and, sequence. And using the shamblers in this like comedic way, um, yeah. I thought and was he heats good. up that hand in the yep, microwave. Yep, yep. So there's that. That I feel like their sort of rapport was some of the most successful in terms of the the relationships between characters. Um, yeah. So they're they've got that going on. Um, but okay, can can we also talk about the whole plan? If this you know, aside from um, Burke, like the the whole plan for this movie is for them to get this money out and to get enough money out that you're going to keep an enormous amount for yourself. You're going to give the, the money to Tanaka. Um, um, you're going to pay off everybody on your team. And money is really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you've only, you're in like an extraordinarily risky situation and you know that to be able to get this out, you probably have to have a better plan than one guy carrying a bunch of duffel bags, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of an odd lack of planning. Um, did you, like, what was your, like, that was my thought about it. Even when they were first loading up, I'm like, wouldn't you want to, like, split this all up between people so that, you know, not that they're necessarily carrying, like, all the money. But if you're going to get out, like, enough money to pay off the guy that wanted this venture in the first place wouldn't you have to have a better plan about physically moving it to the to the I, helicopter, yeah. right? They, they don't have a good plan for that, and that's a good point. I don't think that they ever even got close to getting all the money out of the safe. No. Because at the very, uh, well, at the end of the safe scene, Vandero and Dieter go back to the safe saying to each other, the money, because everybody else is already leaving with the two duffel bags that they got out, right? Or maybe right. it was more than two. But it was um, but not yeah, enough. I think... I don't. Yeah, they they were never gonna get out of this with enough cash. Dave Batista somehow packs some into his pants somewhere to to pull out at the end of the movie. I think that was that stack of of money that he found in, uh, upstairs initially. Um, but yeah, so they they never even got close to to pulling off the heist because well because Burke and um, Lily kind of screwed them over by doing this uh, this other plan and then not telling them that, <laughs> about it and not hiding the body like you said. Yep. Um, so, you know, and then we have, you know, all these sort of, because there's so many characters and you're showing all these like different scenes and you've got to get up to the, the, you've got to build attention up to the sort of big set pieces at the end. Um, I think they get there, but I do think that editing certain things, it felt like the pacing was a little bit off towards the end. Um, and I do think it was thrown off specifically by the scenes you called out before, um, with Dave Bautista and Maria and Dave Bautista and, or sorry, Scott Ward and Kate and Scott Ward and, and Maria. And both of them have the same theme of these like weird conversations in the middle of this clutch situation. And it's um, the same argument. Like yeah. both of them are saying you, you left, you left me alone. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, clearly I've got PTSD, and clearly we're in the middle of a zombie city. Can we please right. just put a pin right. in Right, so that felt, that felt strange, and then, you know, and of course they they have this whole, like, slight resolution between him and Rio where they're going to maybe make a go of it after, and of course um, she gets dispatched. Oh my God, but, that was a rough one. Yeah. Like, that, oof, that spine. Yeah, that was pretty rough. Um, and the willies. yeah, that was creepy. And the effect on that was pretty good too. Um, and so I think that that was sort of a deliberate, you know, manipulation of the audience to make you feel like, Oh my God. Um, but also it was an incredible effect. So that was like a horribly creepy and nasty way to go, but kudos to the special effects peeps on that one. 
I do um, feel like though that that scene is also uh, a bit of a symptom of how they kind of just kind of they feel a little bit too casual and relaxed down there. Right. And part of that symptom is these conversations that they keep having with Scott Ward. But like you're trying to get into an elevator in a zombie hotel, right. and you're not going to have guns up when the elevator doors open. Right. Like, that I feel felt like you weird. would. You just would. Unless they're they're feeling completely secure for no reason, right? That I and that felt, that felt kind of strange, and so it's a little choppy in terms of the action. On again, enjoyable, but a little bit like unlike other films where I was feeling the tension. I just felt like all of it got bled away by those conversations, and then I was kind of like, "Well, I just don't even know what to think anymore." Um, and even when they get to the roof um, with Tignotaro. Um, I did like the idea that she's like, like Tignotaro is like basically telling them, yeah, everything's all set with the chopper, but it's like a total mess. And, and it's completely on fire. Yep, yeah. Those, yep, were, those, were, pretty, those were funny little cutaways. Those I were like nice those. scenes and I liked those. Um, and then, but I felt like they overdid the chopper roof scenes. So they have two of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they get away once, and I think that's supposed to make you kind of think that that's going to happen again. Um, I don't think anybody in the audience would have been surprised with the with the Zeus character running and jumping on the chopper um, the, the second time round. Um, but it's both, you know, it's kind of almost like the same scene ish for both of those, which I thought was a little weird. Well, in the first one, he doesn't jump on no, the he doesn't because he's too busy trying to save the head, the of head the queen. of his queen. In the second one, he has to get on the chopper because that's a direct analog to uh, the you know mother alien getting yeah, on yeah, the dropship. Yeah. I know, I know, but <laughs> but it just felt like they were repeating. I don't know. It felt like a repeat for, yes, for it, things. Yes, it was repetitive. Um, and then you and know the fact that you know between one helicopter leaving leaving the uh, the Bly, I guess, and flying to the Olympus. The fact that the zombie army was able to keep pace with them and get there almost at the same time as Scott Ward, it was kind of crazy. Like, they flew there in a helicopter, and yet the zombies managed to, like, run there just as fast. It was kind of crazy. And I do think that, you know, the sort of end scene in the destruction with the helicopter and the... Um, I thought that there were some some nice moments with Tignataro. I mean, she's, she's injured and flying out and like scraping the blood off the the windscreen to be able to see that the the bomb is hit heading so i thought that, yeah. that that tension was pretty good um and i thought that that was well done um all of the scenes in the helicopter i thought were choreographed and that tension was great um and that, i mean this is the kind of stuff that Zack snyder excels at and i mean look if you're watching a Zack Snyder's zombie film, I mean, we all know the end of Dawn of the Dead. Nobody actually makes it. Um, well, so it's, I think that was still remains to be seen. Post credit scene, they you know they you don't really see what happens, other than they drop the camera. <laughs> well, right, but but my point is is that you know most people are going to die. It's a zombie film, yeah. Um, yeah. and he you know and 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 I do think that the scenes and especially the end scenes with with uh, Scott Ward were really were really cute and well done. Um, the whole thing, which his theme all on, is talking to his daughter about starting up a food truck and coming right. up with various food ideas. Um, and this was just like kind of a very bittersweet ending with them. Um, and I also thought like a very well done scene just in terms of, you know, that that whole tension between the father and daughter resolving it and then ha tragically having to, to take him out because he's going to become an alpha. Um, and, you know, I think that that, with all the destruction around and he's like strapped into that seat still 
um, or like kind of stuck. Um, and his turning, I thought was really, really good. Um, and with everything, I mean, the one piece is that we don't really know what happened to Gita. Um, and we see that Tignataro has died, that Peters has died. Um, but yeah, you well, know, she has a prop through her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, we, we got that going on. Um, but this was, you know, and, and of course this isn't the complete end cause it can't be. Um, and we've got the continuation, uh, with, uh, Vanderhoe towards the end of this film, just sort of like being, you know, we think everything's, and of course, is again, classic Zack Snyder, where everything's going to be okay because he's got the cash and he like survived the blast because he was stuck in the safe. I don't know how you would get out of such a safe if it had actually, you know, survived this whole thing. Um, but he did, um, and he goes off to, he's going to Mexico City. Um, but this is the one piece where I thought um, the storytelling. So we've got we've got Kate who has survived, hopefully without any kind of uh, radio radioactive um, sickness, right? And um, there's a there's a, a CH forty seven coming to get her, which is kind of random too. That also they're, they're random, just, right? Because um, yeah. why would they even know, right? Like, but maybe mm-hmm. maybe they've been paying attention to that. Uh, who knows? But in any case, so she's definitely survived. Um, but then we've got Vanderhoe, who has survived in the most unlikely of ways. He's been, he basically got locked in the safe by Dieter. Um, and he's got a pile of money. He's got all the money that, or pretty much all the money that was in there. Um, mm-hmm. and he, you're like, oh, great, great. He's going to live his life. I don't think this was a shock that he had actually been bitten. Um, I mean, you don't see him get bitten in the no, action which, scenes where, he, where he's like going of... knuckles, knuckles with Zeus. Okay. He doesn't, there's no bite scene. So my question for this for you for this was this a callback to carl because carl getting bitten nobody saw him get <laughs> bit and then suddenly there's like this noticeable thing on him right if the bite was under on his chest then yeah sure it would be a carl reference yeah. but i don't think you don't, don't think, think it was all right wanted to go there i mean the thing is like he gets out of the the vault and then he's standing in irradiated downtown las vegas and that should right. have killed him there are fan theories that because he'd already been bitten that he survived that makes that. him immune mm. but and he's been bit by an alpha, so technically he will he will be able to sort of pass this on and be an alpha and pat like this is this is the whole idea, um, mm-hmm. and but my my big criticism about this is that you have now lived in everybody is aware of the whole zombie thing. You've lived in this world for however long. The the flight attendants on the private flight that he basically barrels his way into and pays with an enormous amount of cash, even though it's somebody's mm-hmm. private plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are well aware. I think everybody is well aware of what the symptoms are. And they yeah. say that he feels cold. They say they have to notify the captain. Um, I, again, we don't see exactly what happens to him. He's just kind of locked in the bathroom. So maybe they're prepped and waiting for him outside with some gun to take him down. <laughs> That'd but, be pretty funny. But, um, you know, th- to me, it's like, no, it's not a mystery what's going on with him. They know it's not the champagne or let's hope they know. Um, and I think it's left ambiguous a little bit. I think that there mm-hmm. is some call, like some indication that they know what's happened or that he's been bitten or something. Um, but this was, you know, a nice sort of lead into a sequel, I suspect, um, mm-hmm. where he's going to be dropped in a population center that's going to be pretty hard to contain if he gets out and is allowed to spread this around. Um, and I like the, as I said, I love this actor. I think um, Omar, Omari Hardwick is like, I think he does a really good job at this. The whole realization of what's going on is great. Um, but, you know, 
I I feel like they would have taken him out pretty quickly, don't you? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, the yeah, I think you know this. Maybe this was your uh, Romero uh, reference where he's able to do the immoral thing just because he can ply his way through it with stacks of two hundred dollars or two hundred thousand dollars at a time. You know, uh, but. We'll see. Yeah, that's that's what the uh, that's what the animated series might be for. I don't know if they're going to do poster or pre. It seems like it's going to be a lot of prequels because of how many dead characters are, are billed as them as playing their existing people. Um, but yeah, by the end of this, I was just like, yeah, that's this has been fun. I you know I've definitely got some questions still, like what happened to Gita <laughs> and other things. And how is Kate Ward going to be able to just like go in and free her daughters when she's not related to them at all? Yep. Uh, lots of, lots of things, but it's, uh, it was, it was definitely a wild ride. And, yeah, and it time. is. Um, and I would, you know, I would totally watch the sequel where Kate basically is the one who knows what's going on and maybe is, it becomes that character to go and take out Vanderhoe or going to take out whatever alphas are going to be happening in Mexico City. Um, so I would totally watch that sequel. I think it would be fun. Um, but we'll have to see what happens. <laughs> so, um, if, and especially given the reception, it wouldn't shock me if they if there was a sequel. Sequel, though, given given the timing and how long it took them to shoot this, who knows what what that would look like? Um, but but I hope that maybe it happens. And I'm looking forward to seeing the prequel and the other things that they've got going on surrounding this this particular storyline. Yeah. So the. I would say some other standout elements of this movie were the choreography. There was some great fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some great slow-mo Zack Snyder <laughs> shooting oh, yeah. stuff. Uh, the, so there were, there were just, yeah, it was just, like we've said at the beginning. It was a spectacle. There was so much to look at. It was, it was definitely overwhelming. And there were some scenes that definitely benefited from a second, a second glance. Um, yeah, I so, thought that and, the casino yeah. choreography, especially when with the when they're on the way out with the money, was a yeah. really good one. Um, yeah. We've got a lot of a lot of Dave Bautista, um, you know, jumping on tables, ta- being like all powerful. He seems to have superpowers at some point. Right, there's that uh, one table when he throws it, and it has like speed effects. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, sort of like, Whoa, what's happening? What's happening here? Um, yeah. You know, and I do enjoy the whole like trying to make him mild mannered with the, with the prop glasses and stuff like that. That's pretty funny. So, um, but, and, and I do think that the, and again, these are the things that Zack Snyder excels at are these big set pieces, um, beautiful choreography and fight choreography. Um, it makes it look like a dance. Um, I definitely think that the people involved in this and a lot of them are people he's worked with before, uh, have that sort of, uh, physicality that looks really good in these fight scenes. And I think that the makeup was, I liked the makeup on the, on the zombies, especially the alphas I thought was very good. Um, so I think, I think that, you know, Overall, I really enjoyed this as a spectacle blockbuster piece. Um, just probably would have honed it a little bit to make it more as impactful as Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. What are your feelings yeah. overall? Like, what's your what's your it was, sort of take? It was a lot of fun. I was not disappointed. I kind of I kind of went into this thinking that it would be the way it was, and I was I was definitely I enjoyed it almost a hundred percent. Like, except for those couple of things that I mentioned. Um, it yeah. was it was firing away, and I loved all the references, and I loved oh, all the too. little breadcrumbs and the Snyder being 
being super Snyder. Oh no, so. it's it's so much. It was a lot of fun, and I will say that I was very worried um, because this did happen with World War Z. Um, th- just sort of the amount of editing and re-editing, and mm. then sa- then hearing like like stories. Oh, these things aren't quite working, so they have to go back. And I will say the result of this, I. Th- for, for me, for this kind of a film, was much more satisfactory. Um, I definitely, you know, I have to nitpick because this is just who I am. <laughs> but but um, I think that visually it was a really uh, fun film. I think that the actors were great. Um, I, again, just wish there was a little more input in the storytelling script when you actually have people talking to each other. Um, but, you know, I think that this was definitely exactly what it should have been. So, um, and I'm glad that they're getting success with this. I actually think that the making of is a lot, is definitely worth watching and sort of fun. Um, and then just kind of seeing how they did the world building was cool. Um, and one of the things that they say in the, the making of little mini documentary uh, is that, you know, Vegas is a very well-known place. Everybody has an idea about it, even if you haven't been to it. Um, and trying to make it, both deteriorating but also recognizable was a challenge um and you know how much do you have the city deteriorate you know like in the time that this has been happening um what's been happening in this to make it look like this um and also even with some of the makeup effects like that that vegas it has like a very dry climate so that will have a different effect on the on the decomp and stuff like that. So I thought that that stuff was all kind of fun to hear how they were thinking about it and visualizing it and how they made that happen. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, uh, we've, we've said what we need to say. Um, this was, this was good. Um, we next time can H a talk about the next episode of fear the walking dead, or we can take another week uh, to to finish up that season with the last two episodes and, and instead review a different project, which I would like to propose. Okay, well, that's fine. But do you have a different project to talk about? So one that we have not seen. I mean, there's a lot still out there. But yeah, one that um, came to my attention again recently is Slither. Ugh, no, I can't. I can't do it. Why not? Because it's like got snakes. Can't do it. It's a... It's a small town taken over by an alien plague, turning residents into zombies of all forms and all forms of mutant monsters. And it's directed by James Gunn and it has Nathan Fillion. I know it does. I know it does. But I I don't know. Okay, I guess we can watch it. It's so gross. Um, All right. We can do it, even though I'll be freaked out by it. But yes, I guess we can watch it. Do you hear how much under duress I am to watch this? You are. And uh. That's okay. That's that's not. Yeah. If you don't want to, if you really don't want to, we don't have to. We no, can no, else. we can watch it. I it's just mostly that I'm trying to procrastinate watching Fear the Walking Dead. Well, it makes sense to wrap it up with the last two. So why don't we do this film and then we'll finish up this season. OK, so. Ugh. So then then uh, holler at us and let us know what you thought of Army of the Dead by Zack Snyder. You can reach us on Twitter at Reanimated PCAST. You can email us at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com and our show notes will be posted with links to the articles that we discussed at reanimatedpodcast.com. And, um, well, for me, thank you for listening and uh, we'll catch you later. And until next time, ciao.